0: Uh, This week we have our grandkids with us, uh, which means there's going to be a lot of beach time. There's one place to take, a bunch of active ones, a place where they can run, and someone else is in charge of watching. Make sure they don't drown. So if there are any lifeguards here, be attentive this week. My grandkids will be there. But there's an illustration uh, coming out of that. I'd used it recently, but I, I think it's such a helpful and clear picture of the spiritual truth, and one that in our era we can all appreciate. And that is when you are in the surf, and especially if you have kids, and you have the the lifeguard stand in those flags marking the parameters of, of where they're able to watch and where the kids need to stay. And if you're out in the water, you will not remain within those flags on your own because the tide in the water will eventually pull you off to the side. You have to be attentive not to drift outside of the flags. You don't just stand there and keep to one place. And how many times yourself or with your kids or grandkids, you're playing in the water and then all of a sudden you find out how much further down you're going. It is something that involves attention, care, and effort to stay within the parameters of protection. This morning we begin preaching through the New Testament book of Hebrews. And one of the significant purposes of this book that God has given to the church is to help to protect God's people against the dangers of drift. It is written clearly to those who are very familiar with the scripture it's written to believers who know the lord who know his word and yet regularly throughout the book we will have challenges given to god's people to to reassess and thinking what is going on in your life we will see a pattern throughout the book of Hebrews, where there is a section of instruction, and then at the end of that instruction, there will be an exhortation of examining your heart, examining your life. Is what you're hearing actually what is shaping you? Are you living within the boundaries of protection that God has given The first example of this is uh, the very beginning of chapter 2. In in chapter 1, we're going to have instruction about the person of Christ. And then that ends in chapter 2, verse 1, with these words. Therefore, because of what we know of Christ, therefore we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift Away from it. We must pay attention to what we believe and know and have heard of Christ. So that we do not drift unthinkingly away from him. The particular audience of the book of Hebrews was the Hebrews. People... uh, of a Jewish background who are followers of Christ. Uh, There is no other book in the New Testament that is so saturated with Old Testament references and pictures. So those who were hearing this letter given to us, part of what I appreciated last week with Joel Shory presenting Hebrews to us That's how God's people first received the book. Someone reading it as they gathered to them. These Hebrews, just as we today, had a danger that was facing them. That was creeping up at times. The danger of falling back into old ways of thinking about God. The danger of of drifting into half-heartedness. So so the, the writer is addressing these issues. We're all vulnerable to drift. Every one of us. We're all vulnerable into just slowly drifting into old ways of thinking, into old ways of, of living that are not Christ forward in all ways. It may be drifting back into the uh, the values of the culture you were raised in. What was your normal? It, it could be how in the family you are raised or the neighborhood that you grew up in, how they dealt with conflict. And maybe it was one where if people cross you, you cut off relationships. Perhaps it was one where uh, the silent treatment in your house was so something just withdrawing or, or explosions of anger and harsh words were said. Uh, There are all sorts of ways that we can be raised in that is just normal to us, and we are now learning new ways and, and clear truths, but we can drift back into what was our normal and find ourselves with actions, attitudes, and thinking that it is not what Scripture says, but just what we're used to. Perhaps drifting into the values of human nature which is always self-centered. The human nature always starts with me. What do I want? What do I think? The emphasis on ourselves and perhaps that has crept into how you're interacting with God. That you may be Praying, you're reading scripture, but it's based on what God should do for you rather than you're worshiping the wondrous God and seeking to serve Him. Has a self centeredness crept into your expectations of what God should do or be? Or maybe drifting just into the pressures of the moment where we focus on what just is hard right now. And that reality in our mind becomes bigger than the realities of the gospel of of God himself, as though the problem is greater than God. Or the, the pressures of the voice that's the loudest in our culture And what are people arguing about and what is the news throwing at us so we can get worked up and and fear and anger and all sorts of conflict enter into our lives because the, the loudest voice is what's shaping how we're thinking and then how we're living rather than the voice of Christ himself being what shapes us. The book to the Hebrews tells us the answer to all of these things, regardless of the situation, regardless of where we are in life, what place and time, the answer is always exalt Christ. That is always where we start. That is the heart of it. In all situations, we are to be Christ exalters is that not what it means to be a Christian, a Christ follower, someone saved by him, someone who loves him, who's being shaped by him and now lives for him in whatever our situation, whatever our place and time. And so we see that right at the beginning of Hebrews, chapter 1, verses 1 to 3, our text today. Let's read this. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us By his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things. Through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the power of his, by the word of his power. And after making purifications for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Christ is the centerpiece of seeing God clearly, of seeing ourselves clearly, of understanding life clearly. Christ, by the nature of his being, is the center of all of this. And so we cannot see life properly if we do not see it through the person of Christ. If we're not giving him the honor due. The writer of Hebrews will use a series of comparisons through the book to show us that Christ is always greater than. Greater than whoever or whatever you want to compare him to. Christ always greater than. We are meant to see the supremacy of Christ. And so the the theme of this book, the, the title we have for it is Christ Exalted. That is what the book means to do. That is what We want to have our hearts refreshed and our our minds shaped by that when we finish, oh, that our love for him would be deeper. Would that not be a wondrous outcome of preaching and reading? praying through this book, that when we're done, all of us have deepened in our appreciation and in our love for Jesus Christ. So the writer begins in the verses we look at today. He begins with the majesty of Christ given to us in seven Statements. I want to look at each of them briefly. Uh, as I was looking toward preaching this passage, uh, at first, uh, just the anticipation—it's it, such an extraordinary description of Christ. It is one of the the richest. Passages in the Bible and just the desire, the excitement to preach it, and then you get in the middle of it and it's uh, being overwhelmed and and even discouraged. That how do you give? How do you properly convey truths that are beyond comprehension? So, what we're dependent upon today is that the Spirit of God would just in. Flame our hearts that these words would become realities and just overtake our souls. So let's ask him to do that now. Our Father, we come, praising the Savior, praising our king. And we ask that you would help us to see him with fresh awe and wonder, leading to the yearning to serve him, to obey him, helping us to love him. Lord, we ask that each statement about him would would be meaningful to us, that it would carry us, help us, in Jesus' name we pray, amen. The first statement of Christ, of his majesty in verse 2, is that Christ is the heir of all things. Simply meaning, yet significantly, that everything that exists belongs to him. He is the heir, the one to whom all things belong. He receives them. And, And that can, if we really want to press into what it means for him to own all things. And that means we, we actually own nothing, that we are stewards of what we have, including our own life. He is the heir. And this includes, as we'll see in chapter 2, verse 5, the world to come. So everything that exists and all that will ever be belong to Jesus Christ. All of the lordship of God the Father, he has given to the Son. There is no honor, no power, no authority, no might to which the Father has not given in its full to the Son. Christ holds it all in this moment and forever. Secondly, verse 2 Christ created the world. As we see in Colossians chapter 1, another wonderful declaration of the majesty and glory of Christ, which fits in many ways with Hebrews 1. There we read in verse 16 that all things were created through him and are for him. We see both aspects, the creator and the heir of all things. Christ has the power to speak into existence all that is. He didn't take raw materials and shape them. He spoke into being. He spoke into the nothingness. And all that is came into being, including life itself. Why do we cherish life? Why are we compelled to uphold the primacy of the unborn? versus the convenience of abortions because each of those each of those children is a life god spoke into existence god has created husband and wife that life may come but do we really think that we are capable of creating the soul Only God can do that. Each one brought out of nothing into being and now a soul that lives forever. What power he has. And what wisdom to design every facet of creation. Color exists because... God wanted color to exist. Uh, think of something as simple as a grasshopper. Uh, God didn't just, okay, made the grasshoppers. He, God had design. Like, where do the legs fit in? How do the legs bend and work? W- where is the intestinal system? How do they reproduce? How do they see? Where are the antennas? How do the antennas work? The wings. Uh, Every, how everything connects, how everything works, every tiny aspect had to be specifically thought out and designed by God to form a grasshopper, and then He formed all sorts of them. And then thousands and tens of thousands of insects and, and the fish and the birds and we come to hundreds of thousands of types of creatures and every one in every aspect of how they exist and move and their bodies work every tiny bit had to be specifically designed by God. And that happened in moments. Let it be. So wondrous is he that all of that was compressed into moments, the, the size of the thought of God, unreachable. And in moments, it came to be As creator, Christ has singular authority to say, what makes life good? So in our, in our culture today where something as basic as gender has seemed to become so confusing, and people are confused and wanting to figure out how, how do we even think about gender? Well, the answer is, what does the person that created beings to exist with gender, well, what does he say? And those who would try to say it's just something fluid that can be whatever you think, they're, they're demeaning the very beauty and wonder that God created in us, as though it's something to be washed out and One gender doesn't mean anything, and it's all a muddle. where God says, no, it is all wonder. It is all beauty. It is all good. I have created it for the delight of every being that exists upon the earth. He created it, and it was good. And so we find direction by the good creator who made it to be. That is not, that's not impinging the culture with our views. It's looking to the one who made us to see how life can and should be. Thirdly, in verse 3, Christ is the radiance of the glory of God. As the radiance of God, Christ cannot be any less glorious than God the Father. He is the visible splendor of God. That which not could be seen now is made visible in the person of Christ. Every aspect of God's glory that we can experience dwells in the person of Christ. He is God's glory made known, made visible. Now you may think, but well, when you see Christ when he first appeared, I mean, he did lots of good things, but it doesn't, doesn't seem so glorious. But he was, he came in humility and a certain simplicity so that we might see and focus on the aspects of God's glory that are important for us in this place and time. We, we see the character of God revealed. God of holiness, God of justice, God of mercy, God of love. We, we see the character of God as had never been be held before in the person of Christ. How seriously does God take sin? He poured his wrath on Christ when he became guilty of our sin. How much does God love us? That when we are yet sinners, Christ died for us. How merciful is God? Christ says, does anyone come to me mercy mercy is here for you we we see the character of god in a fullness we never saw and we see the greatest of god's works the eternal son made flesh dying on a cross overcoming death overcoming sin being raised by his own power and reigning, conquering all that opposes us. We see the character of God. We see his greatest works. And then one day, the one who came humbly will come again. And then the vastness of his glory will be displayed If you want to see the height of wisdom, if you want to see what, what's true beauty in human life, what, is, what does love really look like? Look to Jesus, and there you will see it all in its fullest degree. Wisdom. In human flesh, love in human flesh, beauty in human flesh. You will see it all when you look to Jesus. Fourthly, in verse 3, Christ is the exact imprint of God's nature. Now, the Bible makes this statement a few times, and it uses two different words that are related the other times it speaks of Christ being the image of God as it does in, in Colossians chapter one. It is the word that is used for the imprint of a seal, so that I have a hand seal that I put on the front page of my books that has my name in it. So other pastors can't put it on their shelves and and say it's theirs. One pastor, a few years older than me, he's often accused me of going through his shelves and putting my seal on books that were his. The reality of that remains to be seen, but it refers to Christ as that seal. He is the exact imprint of what is on the seal then is seen, whether it's, the impression of a coin or a seal and that's how it's usually used that Jesus God in flesh is what god looks like in character and heart but this word is is only used of Christ once and here the word for the exact imprint is the word for the engraving tool itself it's that that metal seal that has my name on it, it's referring to that, that which makes the imprint. Christ is both the, the exact imprint, the image of God and his humanity, all that that God is in our mind, but Christ is even more than that. He is God Himself who makes the imprint upon us. He is the exact engraving in his humanity. He is the engraver. He is the form of God. He is all of it. Christ is no less than the perfect, eternal, almighty God in human flesh. believer, as you think of, where is my life headed? It feels dreary. You're thinking of your failures, maybe how hard life is, what you don't have, what others have, how you've been misused, what you've lost. All of those things are real and have impact and have certain pains to them. But we must not miss this. If you are in Christ, then there is an unstoppable truth. When he appears, you will be like him when you see him. You will be like him and none of your failures can keep that from happening. So think of the grandeur, not of the deified majesty of Christ, but the full majesty of Christ, human man of character, perfection, love for righteousness in the Father, that will be yours. No less than all of it. So (laughs) you're reading the Bible again. I don't feel like today going to church when I'm struggling. All those steps. Why do we stay faithful? It's making you more like Jesus. Jesus. There's nothing better you can do, there's nothing greater, there's nothing more worthwhile, there is nothing more noble, there is nothing more satisfying, there is nothing more mind shattering than the thought that you can be more like Christ today today than you were yesterday. And next week, you can be more like Christ then than you are now. What amazement. And that's our reality day by day. That's where your life is headed. That's why we commit to faithfulness. That is why each life, each day, we can pull back and I will rejoice in the God of my salvation. Fifth, Christ upholds the universe by the word of his power. The creator of all things sustains all things. Again, Colossians 1.17, in him all things hold together. Why are you here? I'm talking about the, the existential question. Why, why do you exist? Why are you in place and time? Why is your body here? Because the word of Christ keeps the molecules of your body together. That alone. If not for the ongoing command of God, nothing of matter would hold together. Air wouldn't exist. Light wouldn't exist. Your soul wouldn't exist. As John Owen, the great Puritan, said, it's as if the, the full power that it took for God to create the world is being exercised every single moment. Often, if I'm just the the discouragement sometimes in prayer uh, and where you are and, where's, and is God at work in my life and just thinking. I just feel my heartbeat. I think of my breath. I think, that's the hand of God. This beating is purely because God is saying, live. Live. Your breath, that's a miracle of God. What no one can do it is the power of god causing you to breathe your heart to beat this ongoing activity purposeful activity of god in you he is a constant flow of power without effort he doesn't get tired. All of the effort he uses never diminishes. So there's no weariness. There's no effort. It just comes out. And so think of what it means to follow him, to live in a way in sync that's why we want to be obedient to him in all he says. Not, I'll do some, but I'll live the way I want. We want to be fully in line with what he says and does. Because when we're fully in line with what Christ says and does, he is unstoppable power. Who will stand before him? Who will say to Christ, no? Who will undo his works? Who will be a stumbling block to the Lord Jesus? Who will distract him, deter him? Nothing, no one. And so when we follow Christ, we follow the unstoppable power and purpose of God and we know how it is. sixthly in verse 3 and Christ has made purification for sins the majesty of God entered the world so he could climb upon a cross Such was the enormity of our dilemma. Such was our hopelessness that it required nothing less than the blood of God to save us. Nothing else could. The blood of God was required so he freely gave it. He bore the foulness of our guilt in order to make us clean and if believer if you get discouraged with your cleanness before God and your failures keep in mind who has made you clean keep in mind the majesty of Christ the glory the power of Christ and if he has made you clean. You are clean indeed. Nothing can. Mar, the one made righteous with the righteousness of Christ himself imputed to us. And that's how the Father sees us at all times. With the righteousness of Christ. How can you be clean? Clean. Christ makes you clean. And nothing can dirty that which he has cleansed. We will stand before the Father white, clean, pure. And that if we love him, that's never the excuse that it doesn't matter how I live. If we love him, then we have hope to live pure and clean. Lastly, and Christ has sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. It is a picture of completion. All that he came to do to save us, to fulfill the Father's will, all that was needed to do that Has been done. It is finished. The one who came and died and was raised now is seated. Your salvation is complete in him. There is nothing to add. There's much to live out. There's nothing to make us more saved. There's much for us to look more like Christ. Nothing more to belong to him than what he has done. And so the one who loves us, the one who understands us, the one who lives to intercede for us, the one who says, Father, I desire that they would be with me forever. That is the one who reigns. Firmly seated on the throne. He is your king and king over all that is. We've seen the glory of Christ. But in the very beginning of the passage, not only is Christ glorious. As wondrous as that is, that glorious Christ speaks to us. Long ago, at many times, in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets, but in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. Jesus speaks to us. He communicates to us. He has, he has things to say for us to hear, and as creatures in the world that he rules whatever he has to say is what we need to hear from christ we don't just hear about god we hear god speaking his heart for us as he says come to me all who labor all who are pay- laden come to me I will give you rest. He says, I am the good shepherd who lays down his life for the sheep. He says, I came that they might have life and life more abundantly. In Jesus, we hear the heart of God directly to us. He speaks that we might know him and have life with him. I... Been reading a, a book by J.I. Packer, Knowing God, which I should have read years ago, a classic. Finally reading it. And in that book, Packer says something about God communicating that I thought fits so well with the message today. Packer says this: God made us with the intention that he and we might walk together forever in a love relationship. But such a relationship can only exist when the parties involved know something of each other. Well, God, our master, knows all about us before we say anything. But we can know nothing about him unless he tells us. relationship. We must know one another. God knows us. We need to know him. And so he speaks in his word, by his spirit, he speaks for us to hear, to know. We cannot over-exalt Christ. No one here loves him enough. This is truth. In every responsibility you have, every problem, burden you bear, what is needed most in that is to exalt Christ. That's what is needed in everything, everything you face, everything you're worried about, everything that's heavy, exalt Christ there. That's what's needed most. Do your thoughts exalt Christ? Spend time with him and dwell on his worth. As we taught through our statement of faith, grab a copy of one of the books and just Pray through that. Pray through what God is like, who he is, what he's done. That'll lift your heart and your thoughts to exalt him. Do your words exalt Christ? Would those who hear your words know that he's exalted in your heart? How can you speak of him? And so what helps momentum with that is speaking of him to those yet you know also love him. It's part of why we meet in small groups to be talking about Christ, the exalted Christ, encouraging each other in him. Do your actions exalt Christ? What can you do today that shows you honor him today? Something today that shows Christ is exalted in my heart. Drifting Along can seem like the easy way to live but only for a while because there's nothing easy and nothing good in drifting farther away from Christ. There's there's no benefit there. There's, There's no glory there. There is no goodness there. But a heart that yearns for him and runs toward him, is a heart that will be full. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we exalt your Son, whom you gave to us. The fullness of all that you are coming to us in our nature sacrificing himself that we might live. Oh, how we see and can know your great love and commitment to us. And so we ask that these truths would seep down in every heart here, in every way it's needed, wherever it's missing, wherever the connections aren't being made, press into help us see how wondrous Christ is and how he is ours. For Anyone here who does not truly know Christ, open their eyes to see the one who came and died. He died for all who would call upon him. Give them faith to do that today in Jesus' name. Amen.